and welcome to The Sound Architect. I am joined by the one and only David Bateson, voice of Agent 47 in the acclaimed Hitman series. Thanks for joining us today, David. How are you, sir? Well, my pleasure. I'm very well, actually. Jolly good. Now, before we talk about the upcoming release of the new Hitman coming this March, tell us how your career began and how you got into voice acting, because it's been quite an interesting journey, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. I mean, um, in voice business, I guess I started way back when I was 19, wow. when I was going, going to university, and I just went down to the the local uh, radio station and and offered my services. And, uh, and you know, I ended up being taken up as um, kind of one of the, the Juve voices in all the radio plays that were right. very big in those days. This is back in Durban, South Africa, in the kind of late, late, very late 70s. So um, uh, that's how it started. And, and I think it helps at a, starting at an early age because I heard Morgan Freeman say, I saw him, some interview he did, where, because he's like considered the voice of God at the moment. <laughs> yes. It used to be Sean Connery, but now it's, it's Morgan Freeman. And um, he was saying, you know, the biggest, he said, someone was asking him, what, what's the secret? And he said, well, it's just relaxed. It's being relaxed in front of the microphone. Because it is a very weird thing. You get, you know, it's a, it's a metal object from which you get no help whatsoever. Yeah, it's just looking at and, you. Yeah, and you, you hear your own voice on the outside of your ears, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Which is also kind of a weird thing, because we never, ever get to do that normally. So it can take a while to get used to it. And it suddenly struck me, I went, yeah, maybe that's why I've always just been, yeah, pretty relaxed in front of the microphone, because I just got brainwashed at a young age. Really. <laughs> it's no big deal. Just you know. But that, I think it's, if, you know, that's one of the hardest things to do. So that's how it all started. I mean, a, a million light years ago. And where did you go from there? Because you, you've moved around since South Africa, haven't you? Yeah, well, whew, my, my parents are from Yorkshire. Uh, oh, fantastic. Ilkley and Shipley. So you can't mm. get more Yorkshire than that. That's just Down Road. Down Road, yeah. And uh, But then I, my father was stationed in South Africa with his company for a while. So the three children, we were born out there. So I had zero to six years old over there. Then I had like... Six to thirteen uh, in Britain. Okay, which was everywhere. It was you know like three months in south uh, southeast London. Then it was Derbyshire for nine months. Then it was Yorkshire for two and a half years. And then it was nothing outside of uh, what was it? Northampton, a place called Spratton, little village. So never really kind of acquired a. A specific accent. You know, and just looking back on it now, so I'm being told, that's my biggest asset, apparently. I don't have a dialect. Mm. Um, which So I don't piss off the Americans uh, <laughs> by talking, hello, I've come here to talk <laughs> down to you. Um, and, I, and if, you know, by the same token, I, I don't sound to uh to uh, you know american the, the americans like it and the europeans quite like it and southeast asia likes it because um apparently it's just very understandable to do, without coming across with a thick you know sort of scottish or glaswegian or yorkshire or some dialect which is a bit more difficult for them to comprehend it's kind of neutral english yeah did you find that moving around quite a bit helped you pick up other accents though as part of your repertoire 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, you could think of sometimes I think I must come across some kind of schizophrenic, that's the word, because I kind of I can be found mumbling, having whole conversations to myself <laughs> in different accents. Yeah, I do that myself. <laughs> yeah, it's great fun. And I, or if I see a film or or I meet someone in uh and whatever accent they are talking, and I, I just have to really fight not to talk back to them in the same accent. I just hear the accent. I'm not trying to be, to please them. I'm, I'm just, they think I'm taking the piss out of them, but I'm not. <laughs> yeah. On a, on a side note, as a, that's what I do myself. You know, you, you can't really? help it. Yeah, I'm a bit of a. I don't mean to mimic, but I, I have actually had to apologise to, I mean, especially Australians. It seems um, oh. I've had to apologise to them up front and say, look, I'm sorry if I start mimicking inflections and things. It just I seem to. <laughs> a bit of a sponge for dialects when i'm talking to people <laughs> you know speaking of australians i, I did a um a uh a cartoon film in denmark about 10 years ago now or even more um called help i'm a fish mm. which alan rickman played the lead role the late and great alan rickman oh, fantastic favorite actor. actor of all time rest in peace great loss, um, yes. And anyway and i was playing his uh sidekick and we were a fish he was the pilot fish and I was the shark, and, and obviously we, when the film starts, I'm top of the food chain, and he's my little pilot fish, and, and we get we we swim into some uh, potion that's been spilled into the sea, which he gets a hefty dose of, and I don't get any of, and it, it turns our status round. He becomes the brainy one, and I become his, his dumb sidekick. Anyway, <laughs> I played it as an Australian an Australian shark, so he was a bit duh, you know. Good eye. He was a real um, happy-go-lucky bloke, but uh, yeah. not the not the sharpest knife in the drawer, as they would as they would say in Danish. Anyway, and I sadly never got to see uh, Alan Rickman. We recorded; he recorded in London, I recorded in Denmark. But years later, apparently, uh, when they made Finding Nemo, they wrote a line in the script, which is a re- reference to me. Oh wow. Uh, yeah, which I didn't realise. Well, yeah, there's the Australian he's, shark, isn't there? Well, he's saying this because the guy says not all not all sharks are Australian, and that was a re- reference to me because you know they didn't like the way I played him. So it's a kind of slightly dim-witted <laughs> shark. So it's a kind of a little little dig. It's a little <laughs> joke, and I, you know, I truly have no way to back that up. But I, I was told by the people at A Film this because they had you know in touch film companies know each other that this was the case they'd written that line in because of my um or rather dim-witted shark <laughs> <laughs> fantastic and were you requested to audition in australian or did you kind of no I did, or? we tried different accents actually i did uh i did yorkshire <laughs> <laughs> yorkshire shark that sounds amazing oh uh, bloody hell <laughs> <laughs> we'll I'd, love to, i'd love to have seen that version i know and that made me <laughs> laugh, wrong. <laughs> that's a bit too weird and i also did a west country shark <laughs> And they went, no, that's it gets a bit too local. Then I did an American shark, kind of a Bronxy thing. So we bounced them all around, and uh, I don't know if they tested them or whatever, but they came out and said, we'll go with the Australian. Cool. Um, I saw the world, I mean, they all had humour in, in them. but um, Yeah, they're all kind of uh, characters. Yeah, and that was what they were after. So yeah, they, I mean, it's cool. cartoons, you know. Because, you know, Ellen Rickman was, was playing it in this wonderfully, you know, you laconic, deadpan voice. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Alan Rickman's voice is fantastic as he is, isn't he, I suppose? Yeah, fantastic. So is there a moment or performance in your career that you're most particularly proud of? I mean, is it Hitman or is there a particular moment throughout your career? Well, yeah, Hitman goes without saying. Also because of the sheer long longevity of it all. Yeah, I mean, 16 yeah. years. Yeah, I mean, that's bizarre. I feel like I'm in Coronation Street. <laughs> 
Um, it's a very deadly coronation street, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, everyone, <laughs> the same yeah. amount of deaths, you know. <laughs> Actually, you're right. Over the years, oh, I've no, I've not been feeling, not feeling well. But um, yeah, there are main, mainly theatre productions. Um, I did a Terence McNally play called Lisbon Traviata. Oh, cool! In Copenhagen, and you know, we only ever did three performances. It was a kind of a an experiment, and it was a huge. I was in a really strange place because it's about a, a, a New York opera queen, this gay guy who knows everything about Maria Callas, and I right. know nothing about opera or Maria Callas, and uh, and I'm, I'm you know I'm a lot of that persuasion. So it just didn't. Um, I had no real frame of reference. But what was fabulous about the, the, the piece was that um of course any relationship is just about love yeah and uh your sexuality has got nothing to do with it oh, of course and um i just was the piece was so well written and as practically speaking i just had to be on top of you know put the white record on third track you know five millimeters into track because it was all done on uh, where they had vinyl and it was the audience were in the round so they're all surrounding it so there was no way i could fake it and i had to sort of hit a precise moment in an aria where i had to discuss it in detail yeah you know, if she was singing sharp flat or whatever so that was an that was an immense challenge but i look on that and i go um i came to think about it just the other day and i don't know why i thought that was that was an amazing I'm really chuffed with that piece. That was a bloody good piece of work. But yeah, I'm, I love my Shakespeare's. <laughs> Whenever I get my hands on a Shakespeare, I, I, um, I always think that's a good piece of work. Oh, yeah, Shakespeare, you know, he's, he's a bit well-known, isn't he? Yes. <laughs> Although he's done a couple of plays. I mean, I have to, you know, now I'm going to say something horrific. Um, in a way, I'm about to start in my next production, an original play by my uh, employer in, in Denmark who's written it. Oh, well. Uh, Vivian McKee. She's called Shakespeare's Ghost, and it's about the, um, the the whole sort of conspiracy theory that Christopher Marlowe wrote Shakespeare. Oh yeah, I remember reading about that not too long ago. Actually, there's this big debate about whether he actually wrote the plays or not. Well, it, it breaks my heart, and I, uh, between you and me and everyone who's listening, <laughs> I actually said to my employer, "Please don't do this to me. I, I don't want to be involved in." this new play, if it's going to slag off Shakespeare as being a 100% phony. Yeah. It's just not what I want to do on the 400th anniversary of his death. Well, definitely not, no. <laughs> so, and, they, and they said, no, no, it won't be like that. It'll be a kind of, a, it'll be an open-ended discussion, you know. Well, she lied to me. <laughs> it's a brilliantly written play, I have to say. But... Yep, we slag off Shakespeare. Shakespeare didn't write it. It's, it's a totally intriguing story that Christopher Marlowe was a, a secret agent. Oh, wow, really? Which he was. He was spirited away on the, the day before he was due to be um, arrested by the, uh, the Privy Council, or whatever they're called, which is like the English equivalent of the Spanish Inquisition. Yeah. And if you go in there, that you don't come out. And they were arresting <laughs> on charges of atheism. Ah, okay. But uh, he was a very valuable spy when the the British Secret Service started. Then, even then, they were in uh, what do you call it, in, uh, recruiting spies from Cambridge University, of which Christopher Marlowe was there. Oh, and wow. the whole story is based around the fact that Shakespeare and Christopher Marlowe were the same age. And Shakespeare only started writing after Christopher Marlowe died. Ah. 
and even after Shakespeare died, there came another like ten plays. So the so the you know, the Shakespeareans or the Stratfordonians, as they called, I think they believed. Oh, he'd written all these plays. He had a whole, you know, he stashed them up, and then when other people go, I'm, I'm not so sure about that. And the <laughs> other is, I'm related to Shakespeare. Are you? Yeah, I mean, I mean, my name's in the new uh, new place, his house in uh, Stratford. Oh, fantastic! Shakespeare's sister married a heart, and a Bateson married a heart. So there's no bloodline. He's a second cousin, right? And uh, I'm sure at that time. You know, there's only 350 people living in Britain. We're all related <laughs> to Shakespeare. But, um, you know, I've got it on a family tree and I've grown up with that sort of being brainwashed. Ooh, you know, he's wow. a family. And now I'm doing a production which is just saying, well, he was just a glove maker's son. Sam died. I don't want to believe in this. I'm, you know, I believe in Father Christmas, Peter Pan, and <laughs> William Shakespeare. So we covered uh, kind of both, really. I was going to ask what was your most challenging points, but you kind of summed that up as part of the moment you're most proud of, unless there is anything that yeah. you found more challenging. No, uh, uh, those roles, which I, I mean, it's a wonderful, you know, I know actors, it's a tough life and all that, although I <laughs> quite a niche over here. I mean, I, I left Britain in uh, 92, uh, and it wasn't a career move. I just wanted to get the hell out. Uh, <laughs> but, um, I mean, you know, but actors... Yeah, it is a tough lot, but I, I find if I so what I'm trying to say is that whatever role you're offered, we also yeah I'll take it yeah I'll take it yeah back end of a camel no problem. <laughs> but um, whenever we do, uh, as actors, get a, a fantastic role, a challenging role, okay, all the, all the better. But even better than that, sometimes you're offered a role which is uh, a real challenge. I mean, you know, kind of beyond your frame of reference or your yeah. experience. And those, I find, are the ones are the real gems because normally, you know, you're up for acting jobs with a whole bunch of other people. So um, they try and cast people as close to that role as possible. So it might not be quite as challenging as as you would have liked it. But I, I, if I get in a position where I'm challenged by a role that which I have absolutely no information in this area, those are the ones that really intrigue me because it takes me out to a place where I just have to kind of trust my instinct, and I like that. Yeah, I mean, you want to explore your boundaries, especially as an actor, do you? Well, I do, but they don't, ha they don't happen enough, uh, often enough. Often enough, that's the word. <laughs> <laughs> so what kind of role would jump out as, man, that looks really hard, and I'd really have to go for it with that one? You know, I tend to play uh, in film. I tend to play kind of villains. <laughs> so Hitman is not is not a quantum leap for me to play. But in, although I'm just voicing at Agent 47, I would have really loved to have had a crack at that in the film because I think they're missing something. Of course, you know, the actress, if you're Rupert Friend or uh, Timothy Oliphant, you probably just pretty much get pre presented the script and you go, oh, thank you very much. Um, thank you, uh, you know, 20th Century Fox, let's go. But uh, I would have hoped, if I was ever in such a position, to have had uh, the possibility to have an influence on the script because I think they just... I haven't seen the Rupert Friends, the second one, I, have, I must admit. And he's a, a very fine actor. But I just feel they... You know, they catered to the, the lower denomination in order to sell as many tickets. And I think Hitman fans, for example, are very dedicated, intelligent, and well-deserving 
group of people who could really take on an interpretation of, of Agent 47 closer to how he should be, a hard-nosed assassin, but with some kind of hidden agenda to him, something that's that haunts him, something that's gives him a kind of a feeling of of being alone or not lonely, just a kind of a bit like a Frankenstein's monster looking for his creator. I think there's there's just something there. And, they, and instead they've gone for like... Bring in a beautiful girl and get a car chaser. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Nah, I don't think so. Obviously, <laughs> it looks good on the screen, and, and that's what's going to sell. You know, it's going to make dollars, I suppose. But the thing is, they, just, they, they missed out. I mean, I, I think Leon, when they, Jean, Jean, uh, ah, yeah, Jean Reno. When he did, hey, I've just been looking at that. I didn't realize Natalie Portman was the young girl. Yeah, yeah, she came a long way since then, didn't she? Wow. But anyway, I think no, that, that was an interesting version. This was this old cynical killer. Uh, and suddenly found himself confronted, and I thought we got close to that with with absolution when um, Agent Forty Seven suddenly finds himself minding Victoria. This you know this young yeah, I started absolution not too long ago actually. Yeah, well, it's it's an amazing game, but anyway, um, so the, those those kind of elements. I'd love to play uh, a hard nut, but with some kind of soft center, something that's just kind of like a Leon, some something like that. Yeah, I mean, depth is what's coming to me with what you're you're talking about. Characters with a lot of depth. Yeah, and you know, you can do it. You can do it. We don't. You don't even need lots of words to do it. You don't even need a lot of other people to help explain why this character is weird. You just because in film, for example, you have you just have so much possibility to just use your face or use your you know put the emotion and look on the face and, and let the audience work out the meaning. Yeah. So um, that was not a very short answer, but that <laughs> or um, anything Shakespearean, because they're just endless, you know, in terms of interpretation and yeah, uh, yeah. complexity. Well, I mean, they've, they've been reinterpreted in, yeah. in so many ways since since their origins. Since you know? the dawn of time. <laughs> it's almost Optimus Prime then, wasn't it, from the... Transformers. Yes. <laughs> was it he said before time began, yeah. which before doesn't make any began. sense. But... <laughs> exactly. I know it totally doesn't. It's like, I love that uh, the, the the trailer to um, Jerry Seinfeld, the comedians. You know, oh, that's brilliant. World. Oh no, no, not that kind of movie. Oh, land before time and all that stuff. You know, kind of makes sense, but it's all it's all <laughs> crap. You know, it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> yeah. I, I um, listen to trailers obviously all the time. I'm, yeah, I'm always listening to voices. And there's a you know, typically with trailers, they make no sense. They're full of non sequiturs that kind of could you could stick on any film basically. Yeah. But then the other thing I'm listening for when I'm listening to voices is I'm trying to I'm trying to hear if the actor means it or the yeah. voice actor means it. You know, and uh, because obviously a lot of our industry is about the sound of your voice, and yeah. then what it can you can get lost in making the sound, and and you kind of forget the meaning. And sometimes actors do that, you know, especially if they've got a lovely melodious voice, and you can, you know, no idea what you're saying, do you? You're just reading <laughs> yeah. direction. Well, it's, it's amazing how they can just have a a certain gruffness or a certain element to their voice and but their reads are really flat yeah i mean you don't have to stress every word but you just have to and just stress one word in a sentence just i mean the morgan freeman was right you, know, you just kind of relax and then uh, then the meaning will come out 
as, as opposed to kind of white knuckling up to the microphone and hitting every single word that's there. That ties nicely into my next question, actually, which was going to be, uh, what advice would you give to aspiring voice actors and actors out there? But it seems to, again, you've, uh, you've kind of covered it with that. Yeah, I mean, it is that. I know, you know what, and it's a lot harder now than it was when I was starting out. I was thinking this the other day about, the old Hollywood actors from like, you know, the early days of Hollywood and stuff again, thinking, God, you guys had it so easy. <laughs> there were only 10 of you. And you just turned <laughs> up and you came on, in on a Greyhound bus from Arkansas, signed a contract and, and, and made, and then you were Ava Gardner for crying out loud, you know, <laughs> yeah. or Carrie, whatever. So the industry is much more organized and, uh, and extremely crowded now. So it is not as easy as maybe as, as I've suggested on more than one occasion, just go to your nearest sound studio, uh, present yourself and ask to do a, um, a demo. Mm. Well, although it's true, they often do like you to do that because they like it on their own equipment. Yeah. You know, if you send a DVD or, 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 or a little MP4 or something, MP3 or whatever, um, sound file, it's just, it's in an email. And it gets lost or filed somewhere. Yeah. I don't know. It's sticking your face in people's faces. It's <laughs> always kind of worked for me. But, you know, it is, as I say, more difficult to, to realistically embrace doing that when there's millions of you out there. So, But if you're doing any recording, when you finally get to walk up to a microphone and someone says, you know, action or whatever, try and relax, breathe. And relax because the microphone, a bit like the camera, really, it really can see what potential what you're doing. It kind of, it's, it, it doesn't lie too well. So if you, the more you're relaxed, the closer you are to be able to be yourself. Yeah. And also your your own natural, um, your natural voice. You know, because most people speak a little higher than they normally speak should speak. Right. And when you're nervous, your voice and you end up sounding like a chipmunk. <laughs> So all of that works against you. So the, the more you can work against that, the more realistic you will sound, believable. Yeah, and with, with respect to voice acting, a lot of people think, oh, I'd love to be a voice actor. And they, they underestimate the amount that goes into it. Is there anything in particular that you think people should be aware of that most people aren't? Yeah, I have a home studio set up, which I hopefully will be turning into a, a NASA, you know, like huge, huge, fantastic uh, <laughs> studio in, in the spring. But it's it's uh, getting good equipment from the word go, getting a, a really good microphone. I mean, technology is so advanced now. If you just got yourself a, a half decent computer with some uh, even moderate software, you, you should be okay. But if you if you got some crappy little microphone or you, your iPhone, yeah, you know, I mean, actually, I just I did something on the iPhone this afternoon because I did. <laughs> <laughs> but that was just a little animatic they wanted a quick hit i said well give me a i mean i hate doing that but it's they just wanted to, my voice to time and i do voiceovers for summersby it's a cars oh, but uh, apple you know cider drink oh okay i've been voicing this guy for years now and um they sent me a 30 second animatic and they're about to shoot it but they just like to have the voice on it so they so they can time each section. So uh, I just that was okay just to whack it off on the on an iPhone. But yeah, get yourself some a good microphone and some half decent sound equipment, and obviously in good insulation, as good as humanly possible with time, because uh, that's the other side of the coin. These uh, pay to play voice archive sites like Voices dot com or One Two Three Voice or yeah, you know they got hundreds of thousands of people out there. 
Oh, wow, they're, yeah. they're old, you know, they got the equipment. They're, they're the real deal, most of them. So um, you, you're really fighting a lot of, you know, half good to very good people. Can you tell us about your setup and what your, your preference is? Yeah, um, right now I use uh, a Logic Pro software. I use a Maestro Apogee, little sound card, it's called a Duet One. And I got my Neumann uh, sort of top-of-the-range microphone and reflection board and a, and a good room with lots of... Uh, good insulation but i'm redoing that room in my house with a the full thing the full nine yards and a sprung floor oh wow going all out yeah you know well it's it's crazy you know well, it's I, worth it isn't it yeah, it's good money to put it mildly on a daily basis thank you god and i really appreciate that and my my equipment is, is good enough for the bbc and cnn um wow. and all the, they do a lot of business stations and stuff but i think it just could be better it'll also make the editing of of your voiceovers easier because yeah. this, you know for the good preamps and good eqs you can do a lot but if you're recording on crappy stuff it's never gonna sound great no yeah you've always got to get it good at the source haven't you yeah you know really i mean sometimes when i do jobs they say hey just send it to me completely without any compression nothing no eq just raw and i go what you know that's like sending a voice over to you naked yeah <laughs> said, no we like that because then they can dress it up at their end. yeah i mean they can do it their way then can't they yeah different strokes for different folks I guess. yeah so let's talk about the hitman series how did you first get involved back in 2000 yeah i know oh before you were born <laughs> <laughs> just again this is gonna irritate a lot of people it's purely by chance uh, although I think, you know, in some ways, every lucky break is being in the right place at the right time. It's irritating. Someone somewhere gives you a break, whatever the situation is. It doesn't have to be in, in the acting world. It can just be in business. Someone, you know, go, hey, yeah, 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 I think you could. Yeah, I'll go. I'll, I'll hire you. And this was just a case of me being in a sound studio in Copenhagen, doing another voiceover. And this studio... Uh, had very good contacts with these um, four or five kind of computer nerds that were doing other jobs. And some of them were working at Nordisk Film in Copenhagen, the world's oldest film company, by the way. Uh, anyway, they and they had this project, which they'd been sort of working on in their garage, called uh, Hitman. And they, were need, they needed a voice. So they'd asked this studio, which I was at, saying, hey, do you know, have you got any, is there any English guy or American out there who perhaps you could recommend and they said yeah we got this this bald guy who comes in every time again. and so i was in that day and they said listen would you uh, give it a shot and i said well let's have a look at the um graphics before i say yes to anything because i just don't want to do poo <laughs> so um, i looked at that and st from the i mean yeah about a millisecond and thought whoa this is just my cup of tea yeah it was all film noir, very you know dark and uh, and very kind of Philip Marlowe, very um, post Second World War in style. Is well, that's what I I hung my coat up on that. If you know what I mean, I um I went I'm going to give it a give it a Philip Marlowe sound, which is kind of you know fifties uh, private eye, and that was just the test. And they went, oh, this it kind of suits that world. And you know, I, I, look, I don't, I can't remember actually. I don't think there was that much dialogue even then. Uh, it's changed a lot over the years, but um, that's just you know how I got it and did it for you know nearly the bus fare home, and it took off. But I don't think anyone knew at that time that it would ever get so big. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's the origin, isn't it? You know, you never know in the beginning. 
I've just only now seen the latest Star Wars film because I finally had some time. And I, I just rushed down and went, I'm going to see this if it's the last thing. I've got to see it on a big screen. The thing is, and, uh, I remember, I think it was Harrison Ford saying at some point, you know, way back when, he was going, you know, none of us knew it was going to be this big. Yeah, okay, you know, I'll give it a go. And that was his breakthrough. You know? Oh, yeah. Was, I mean, can you imagine being involved in that little project? And then It was George Lucas's carpent doing carpentry work at George Lucas's house. So I heard. And and you know, you got a got a crack at doing a, a, a test for it. You got it. But I mean so no one in their wildest dreams even then could have thought of I heard that Alec Guinness's contract as whatever it was. That is, is probably one of the best contracts ever made in the history of the film business because they went, hey get some old British guy from England and give it some class. And uh, they got old Alec Guinness and he, as I understand, insisted on a, a very clever contract where he wanted more back end and he'd do it for a, you know, for six months, eight million uh, for a salary. And they went, well, whatever, just, yeah, that's fine because this is just some kid's movie. 30 years later, his widow is still raking it in. I also like reading about actors who are going, oh, I turned down so-and-so. And you're going, you what? You know, because then later on it comes Titanic and you're going, wow, I don't believe it. You know, yeah. whatever. <laughs> You don't actually. I mean, I I, I saw a, years ago now, a, a really crap Roman Polanski film starring his girlfriend, I believe, in Paris with Harrison Ford called Frantic. And that was the biggest pile of poo I've ever seen. And I'm thinking, what's Harrison Ford doing in this movie? And I know for a fact <laughs> that you, no one ultimately knows how a movie's going to turn out. You get these big stars, and they all seem to go from one success to another. But, you know, there's a lot of very careful uh, research and, and script reading. And, and who is this director? And, and what's the backup like? And, and who are the, you know, supporting actors? Because once they've signed up, uh, so the money will start rolling in from the backers. The movie gets made, but it could be an absolute bomb if it's, you know, if it is directed in the wrong way no matter how good the script is. And so, yeah, no one ultimately knows. You, I guess if you're investing quadzillions of, of dollars in a, in a film, you really, really hope it's going to make some money. But there's no guarantees. Well, I mean, that's, that's a, a kind of tagline for a lot in this industry, isn't it? There's no guarantees. So, I mean, you mentioned quite a lot of changes. How, how has it been being Agent 47 over the last 16 years? What have you noticed evolve? Well, the attention to detail, I think, is what sums it up. Yeah, I love that. It's it's what I love most about the um, the film business. Uh, funny enough, it's like the fact that you can get forty people on a set really concentrating on a on a ten twenty second sequence in a film. You know, I, I just think it's just so unrealistic. And the same goes for I now believe uh, in the gaming industry. I mean, I was at the Birmingham EGX in uh, September and. When I arrived, we were going to be launching Hitman, uh, this latest Hitman, on the 8th of December. And, um, and suddenly it was, uh, came to my attention that we were now, IO Interactive and Square Enix were postponing it to March the 11th. Because they just needed that extra time to just get it right and, uh, and not rush it. Because once you start developing a game, even before you write a script, you've got, you know, the story, and then you're starting to work out the graphics and the, the different scenes where they get landscapes. By the time that's all storyboarded and up and running nine months later, 
you know, the technology is, is, is kind of passed you by almost. You're going to go, geez, those guys have got a new engine that works much better and doesn't, whoa, okay, stop, stop, stop. <laughs> now we have to create a new engine to run this thing on because it needs to be a bit better. And so it goes. Um, and what I've noticed most uh, with regard to that, in my experience, because uh, I only come in at the last stage of uh, this gigantic process, um, is the attention to detail with the script. And by that I mean the rewrites, the uh, the remarks, the sounds, the uh, the extra kind of noises and atmospheres that are established and created, um, as well as what they're doing with your voice. If it's if you're outdoors or in an, an echoey room or a cave or a tunnel, or I mean, it just and yeah. so it goes. I mean, the old days, you just sort of there was just one fixture, and you went, ah, "I'm Agent Forty Seven. You're dead." Bang. <laughs> And now, you know, there are these um, performance capture sequences that top and tail the levels, which are insane in terms of complexity. And then there's all the in-game stuff, different characters the Agent 47 is having to assume. Although I will say this, (laughs) and I'm allowed to say this, because I'm going, Agent 47, he's a really crap actor. And they go, Dave, what are you saying? I said, oh, because you've just killed this guy, and now you're dressed as a plumber or a butcher or a... (laughs) an armed guard or something. But, you know, you don't... I'm not allowed to give them too much of a, a dialect or an accent or, you know, because it makes them sound like a, some sort of stand-up comedian doing yeah. it. You, you've got to... You kind of... You have to act badly <laughs> uh, in with a slight taste of, of an accent of what that person is or was. Um, but nothing more is allowed. So that even that's a fine balance. You kind of can just act a little... Just a little bit better then. Just, just, yeah, that's what we want. That's, again, this is, this is, no, no, no. No, yes, it is. Because this age of 47 is way too cool to be suddenly talking hello, hello, French. <laughs> yeah, or Glaswegian. Or... <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, but I mean, it's the attention to detail in all aspects of the script and the recording. As I say, from the late stage where I come on the scene. And now with this latest installment, it's getting more even more exciting because now for the first time ever, this, this is the AAA game, which is having a, a staggered release, one level at a time. A smaller games obviously have done this, but um, this is big news. Yeah, yeah. And no one quite knows how it's going to work. I think it's very smart marketing and, and a very good move because um, I know what they, what's coming. And to be honest, right at this stage, I've only voiced the uh, the prequel and the first level, which is in Paris. I think I've just started touching on the second level, which is Italy. Oh wow! So um, I'm looking forward as much as anyone to to finding out what's what happens next. Yeah, that must be really interesting. How you're you know you don't know the full story yet. No, um, I mean I I never do, but at least well, Absolution was pretty much of an exception because that was very dialogue heavy and very yeah. story, story driven. So the recording. Uh, was very intense over a month. Wow, only a month though. That's, yeah, but it was quite tight. Yeah, it was still four times four hours, and then one pickup session of two hours. I think that's what it was. But there were, you know, four people in the in the were directing me, plus myself in the studio, plus the sound the sound engineer. So, and we, you know, four hours, and after that, your brain starts to melt. So, um, for everyone concerned, for that matter. So, uh, you know, we'd we'd, we'd stop. But looking at what we're doing now, that pales by comparison because we've been 
we've been at this for ages. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there have been rewrites and re-recordings and new thoughts. And, and I'm just blown away by the, the whole level of uh, professionalism and integrity. You know, this, this is really in a, in a completely different level of uh, intensity and gaming complexity. So uh, I think hand on heart, the, game, the fans are going to be blown out of their seats when they see this one. Well, that's what we're hoping. It's March, the first installment, isn't it? March 11th? Well, March 11th is, is uh, as far as I know, that hasn't been changed. But the whole idea, I think, is great. And they're staggering the, um, the release. So they'll also be able to uh, adjust to some extent uh, after each level is released. Oh, well, yeah, there's always time to change. Yeah, and so uh, I think that's. I think this is going to be a game changer, and also probably have future big games are going to end up following suit. Yeah, well, there's been um, there's been other episodic releases, as you say, and bigger games are, are starting to do it as well. I mean, it's, it was recently announced that Final Fantasy VII, the remake, will be episodic as well. So there you go. Well, AGM Forty Seven was first. No, <laughs> I, I don't know first, but I mean, uh, it's it's good news. So the, all in all, the it's. The complexity of the gaming industry is accelerating at a rate faster than technology can almost you know keep track. I mean, I'll give you an example. In our lifetimes, the internet's been is there, you know, the yeah. whole World Wide Web and the and all forms of social media. This is they haven't taken fifty years to get there. They've taken five to ten years to kind of really get up to speed oh yeah uh and uh, as i saw in an interview just the other day with uh, an, old, an old interview with jeremy paxman uh, uh, with david bowie where he said you know, we've only seen the tip of the iceberg of what the internet is going to do to um humankind and i think he's right and the gaming industry is the world's biggest form of entertainment it's hundred times bigger than the music industry oh yeah and it and it's a zillion times bigger than than films so it, this is what's going to dictate how we think and behave and seek entertainment you know it's it's moving away from any form of terrestrial television to streaming and and the gaming consoles of of all kinds so yeah yeah well i i never underestimate it i'm constantly amazed yet not surprised by the advances we make at the moment, because they're they're just exponential. They're yeah. speeding up all the time. It is. You know, I did a song, uh, kind of a rap song, a kind of the year that's has been song for um, Aqua uh, in 2012. Oh wow! The um, Cern Rastad, the, the the male guy, the you know the husband and wife team. He <laughs> contacted me and said, "Listen, I want, I've been commissioned to write a song about the year that's been, and it was 2012." And when I read the script, and I just had to go in and read it, you know, and it's, uh, it's on his Lazy Boy label where he does these kind of talky songs. And um, in it, he said, we're going to, in two, 2012, something about the year where everything went so fast, but in the future, we'll look at it and say it was so slow back then. And I remember reading those lines in 2012 thinking, no way, man. I mean, I, I, can't, I can't keep up. I literally <laughs> turn my phone off just so I can get through the day without having more than, you know, 30 seconds uninterrupted thought. Oh, yeah. Because there's something going, you know. <laughs> and But now, uh, yeah, 100% right. You know, 2012 is was like the Middle Ages compared to 2016, you know. so Yeah, I mean, I, I can't even think how long 
there is between notifications on my phone now. I think it's, yes. you know, oh. at least one every couple of minutes, the slowest, you know. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to turn most of them off now, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I, I know my wife hasn't, in the middle of the night, I hear her phone going. <laughs> <laughs> so we talked a lot about the past. And you've, uh, you know, what lies in the future for you now? Obviously a bit more Hitman. Yeah, I mean, um, now it's, in a way it's going to be almost non-stop Hitman or in the in the sense that I guess we'll be doing a staggered release up until the summer. Yeah. And then already in the autumn, I, you know, I think we're probably heading into the next round of, of Hitman. But other than that, voiceover work for me is a, a daily reality, which I'm eternally grateful. Fantastic. For. Um, I have a theatre production coming starting on the 14th of February, um, where we character assassinate Shakespeare, as I mentioned earlier. <laughs> and, uh, but other than that, no, um, I haven't got any uh, film projects uh, up my sleeve. They can how it works for me in Scandinavia is that um, the industry pretty much knows me by now. So if they've got a kind of a foreigner. They want they want casting, uh, and if I haven't appeared in anything in Denmark in the two last two three years that's that was that's been notable, then they can use me again. All oh, right. So actually, the closest thing I got recently was not getting <laughs> the <laughs> Danish girl, the new Eddie Redmayne film. Ah, oh, cool. They were shooting some scenes here, and I was to play his doctor, uh, and then they just. You know, recast. I didn't get the part. I was I was being considered for it, and I heard it was uh, going my way. But you know, whether that's true or not, it's another story. And then suddenly, I got notified that they rescheduled the the shooting schedule, and those scenes were going to be now shot in London. So, oh, that's a shame. so that it went away. As they so said. close. So that yeah, that's a, that was a bummer because uh, again. You know, that would be nice. So it's really, to be honest, in um, in the Danish film industry, it's kind of picking up scraps and and minor roles, really, unless I make some, some indies. And the indies are, are cool, but they can restrict my voiceover work, which is kind of very big and very international oh, yeah. on a daily basis. So I, it's sometimes if I'm going to do something... It pays less. I have to really plan it. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, with the amount of voice work you get. Yeah, so that keeps me off the streets. <laughs> keeps you out of mischief, or at least less mischief. Yeah, <laughs> actually, Excellent. in a way, it gives me it gives me a chance to get more mischief done because then, so, you know, there's <laughs> that's one way of looking at it. Well, you know, in the sense that um, you don't know. If, I mean, I, I get booked for jobs at very short notice. Yeah. So um. I've you know booked up this this week and next week because it's there's a kind of a, a rush up to the Cannes Film Festival. Oh yeah, of course. Build up for that and the commercial and TV festival afterwards or before I can't remember when they are. But my diary is then you know from, from the week after next I have, you know I have nothing in my diary between then and death you know so <laughs> so it kind of also can go I can be spontaneous to go in and get up to mischief if I want to. <laughs> Excellent. Well, that's all part of the fun. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, I'm, I really enjoy that part about uh, no two days being the same. You know? Well, it keeps variety. Yeah, it certainly does. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, we've got a couple of fun questions to finish up with now. Yeah, cool. So if you weren't an actor, what would you be? Wow. 
Um, you know what? I would probably, you know what I'd like to have been? Hmm. And um, I went to university to, to do actually to, uh, with journalism or architecture in mind. Oh, wow. So those are the kind of things I'm, I may have ended up in, in production, probably in uh, TV and film, something like that. I, I, my, my mathematics was too weak. So I, my buildings had all been leaning over, but I, I, I love architecture. I really well, love Wonky buildings. Um, but <laughs> my absolute secret passion is surfing. I've surfed all my life. Oh, wow. From my days as a young guy in, in South Africa. I mean, I'm on, on waves, you know, not, not windsurfing or kitesurfing, just... Uh, oh, yeah. And so uh, and a, a few friends of mine became professional surfers and, and graduated into the either into the, the the surf industry in some form or other and i'm i'm secretly rather envious of that because I, <laughs> I, I can't help but imagine agent 47 cruising yeah. on the waves <laughs> but it's on my i just noticed when I, I opened you for skype it says on my skype thing it said and it says i'd rather be surfing and i went yeah <laughs> damn it so I, I look at webcams on a daily basis um, southwest France where I go surfing in the summer nice. and just check out the surf you know not that I'm going to be there today or tomorrow it's going to be months before I'm in that part of the world but I um, I just like to look at the waves and, and the conditions and... oh yeah well, I suppose you know it's, it's a bit difficult to surf in Denmark <laughs> oh flat is you know there's, there's a couple of waves but like it's the water's so cold it's not much fun so yeah so uh, yeah my <laughs> short, the short answer is anything to do with the surfing industry Oh, that's pretty uh, cool. Whether it was a judge or running a surf shop or shaping surfboards or, I don't know, just being next to the sea and and, uh, and hearing that sound in the background and getting out in the water every now and again, that would, that would make my day. Awesome. Well, there's always, you know, if you ever get sick of the voice work, you can always just go out there and well, that, live, that, live your life out there. <laughs> the truth is, um, you know, uh, the voice work means you can actually go anywhere. Thanks well, that you. is true, yeah. So it's true. Technically, you could go out and have an office by the waves. <laughs> yeah, I, I take my equipment with me when I go on holiday, and uh, there's more than one occasion when I'm sitting there in, the, in our apartment on the beachfront with my with a duvet over my head, you know, <laughs> earning some some really good money to some good money. <laughs> and then go out and hit the waves. Yeah. So, um, so awesome. that's, yeah, if I could put the two together, that would be great. Well, find some sort of surfing game where you have to mocap. On that. <laughs> yeah, that'd be cool. Uh, actually, I got I've got surfing games on my my iPhone, which excellent. You know, going, how old am I? What the what am I? This is such fun, you know. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, to finish off, another fun question: sure. If you could have a drink with anyone, alive or dead, who would it be? Ooh. Well, well, William Shakespeare to find out whether he wrote the plays or not. Oh, of course, yes. End of the debate. Uh, that would that would kind of uh, yeah really make my day. Um, and if he didn't write the plays, then I wouldn't want to talk to him. Uh, <laughs> yeah, just leave, leave you. Uh, but you know, <laughs> right now it's very much in my mind uh, the two wonderful people who who've passed away this last week, both David Bowie and, and Alan Rickman. I'd I'd like to have, you know a few really big fat drinks with those two gentlemen. Oh yeah, definitely. And. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm seriously, I've been fans of them all my life. Uh, well, 
Alan Rickinson since nearly 84, but Bowie, Bowie as long as I can remember. So, um, yeah, those kind of people. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure having you, David. Thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. Yeah. And it's been awesome talking about Hitman, which, again, will be out, well, first instalment will be out March 11th, all being well. Yeah, and until we hear otherwise, I think that piece is going to uh, stick. Excellent. Well, we look forward to hearing your voice in it, and we look forward to catching up soon. Thanks again. Thanks, sir. Thanks, sir.